If you have your Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1, and um, I'm kind of back on this thing called One Big Family. I've just wanted to focus in on that ever since the coronavirus thing started, and as we begin to come back together again slowly. Um, and I want to talk to you today uh, about a subject titled, A Place to Become Who Jesus Wants You to Be. A church should be, a family of believers should be a place to become who Jesus wants you to be. Now, I know the church is not a building. The church, we are the church. We are people. And uh, we, when we go out into the world and we leave this, leave this place today, we're going out into the mission field. The mission field starts right out there. And, and we know that it's not a place. But at the same time, when we do come together, and when we are together, we should we should be in a place where we can become what God wants us to be, what Jesus wants us to be. We're going to talk about that here. So let's stand, read our Bibles, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 through 17. And we see the Apostle Paul as a man who had to become what God could use. When Paul got saved, right you know, right before Paul got saved, Paul was not usable to God. Paul was actually an enemy of God, and he was a part of dragging Christians to their death and, uh, and, and fighting from a religious sense, thinking he was doing the work of God, but he wasn't. And he was confronted by Christ on the Damascus Road. And so Paul gives us a little insight into, into his growth process and what happened in his life and how he became the Apostle Paul. It says here in verse 12, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me trustworthy appointing me to his service. Uh, in some versions it says, therefore putting me into the ministry. <laughs> So Paul is starting off kind of with the end result first. He's saying that he found me to be trustworthy, and after I was trustworthy, then he placed me in ministry. People forget that Paul for several years uh, was taught by Aquila and Priscilla and was, was um, poured into to become the man of God that he was. And he says here in verse 13, Even though I was once a blasphemer, and a persecutor, and a violent man. I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. In other words, when he says the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, uh, God gave me what I didn't deserve. He gave me this unbelievable grace. I was acting in unbelief and ignorant, even though it was wrong what I was doing. But God, in His unbelievable mercy, granted me grace that I didn't earn and I didn't deserve. What a merciful God we serve. And he says that here in verses uh, 12 through 14. And in verse 15 he says, Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then notice what he says here. Of whom I am the worst. Notice, he didn't say, I was the worst. I am the worst, he says. Of whom I am the worst. But for that reason, 
I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. May I be able to take this experience of Paul's life and really him peeling back the skin of, of, of his life for us to see deep within his heart what he was, what he became, what we can become. And I thank you for that. Help us to realize that this thing we call church, this body of believers, should also be a place where we can become also like Paul did, a disciple of Christ, a follower fully living for Him. And I prayed in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. I think in this uncertain world that we live in today, with all of the uncertainty, with all of the hate, with all of the crime, with all of the um, violence and division, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ needs to make sure that we are right, that we're getting it right, and we're preaching it and teaching it right. We need to make sure that we are not basing what we do on denominational traditions, but we better make sure that we base what we do on scriptural foundations. Not traditions, but scriptural foundations. We better make sure that how we conduct ministry and how we live our lives is based on scriptural integrity and not on what we think or what we feel or our opinion. So it's important that we get that right and that we start with the church as being a family. It's an incubator of our faith. It's a place where we grow up in our walk with Christ. And it's a place to become. One of the saddest things for me as a pastor, and I'll tell you this, I, there are several things, but there, one of the saddest things that I see are people that maybe their families come to church and they're born. And when they're born, their family's already coming to church. And they, so a lot of times those kids came to church while they were in the womb, then after they were born, and for many, many years. And their parents maybe worked in children's ministries and children's church, served in the nursery, worked in vacation Bible school. And as those kids grew, maybe the parents grew uh, in, their, uh, in, in their desire to serve and wanted to help out with the youth and, and, and so forth and so on. And those kids grew up, made decisions for Christ, were discipled. Man, we had such confidence in them. And they get to a certain age. And then they leave. And I'm not talking about leaving our fellowship as much as leaving the body of Christ. Being a part of a church is no longer in their, in their priority phase of their life. Now, I have a lot of confidence in the fact that bring up a child in the way he should go, and when he is mature... 
He will not depart from it. And I do believe that many will come back. You know, I think of a lot of people. I can look around and, and give a lot of examples. Um, I just think of Brother Eric. I know Brother Eric was raised here in this church. And, and I saw a picture of Eric a while back at a Valentine's banquet. From, from, a, from a long time ago here at the church, he had a mullet. Y'all ought to see that. We ought to put that up. Man, Justin, if you can find that before this sermon's over, let me know. <laughs> and, 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 and he came and all that. And then, but then he departed for a long time. And he got married and, and started a career. And whatever, however God worked, he came back. And then he got truly saved. So that seed of God's word that was implanted in his heart. <laughs> that seed of God's word that was implanted in his heart. Grew and brought conviction and brought him back. And, and he got saved. And his life was radically changed in that way. And so that's my hope for a lot of our children. For a lot of kids that grew up serving God and grew up in this church and so one of the saddest things one of the things that breaks my heart is to see that happen not just with kids but with adults with people who get saved and man they were on fire for God for a long time and then now they don't even go to church anywhere and I wonder along that along along the, the, the path there what got messed up what got lost in the translation what what happened And maybe it's not just one thing. Maybe it's a whole bunch of things that happen to people. We get our eyes on the wrong thing. Maybe a church goes through a time of difficulty and it's just easy to check out on that church. And when it's going through struggle and maybe there's some infighting going on and people get hurt and all of that. And, and it no longer becomes a place where we can become. That's why I believe that it is important for us to know these foundational truths and to stay with them. So I'm going to give them to you quick, okay, because of the time factor. But here they are. Number one, in a place to become, we need to be real, authentic, and honest. We need to be real, authentic, and honest. Okay? Um, Paul right here is being real, authentic, and honest with us about what his life was before Christ what his life was after he received Christ, what he became. He was honest about that. Uh, James 5.16 says this. The Bible says, therefore, confess your sins to each other. I, I want to tell you, you can't get more honest and authentic than that, right? For me to confess to you a weakness that I have, you can't get more honest than that. You can't get more honest than a man standing up here saying, and it was refreshing, you know, to say, I apologize. You can't get more honest than a Christian to admit to something that they've done that wasn't right. And the Bible says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. We need to be honest. We need to be authentic. We need to be real. We're not all super Christians. Right? We're going to fail sometimes. And that doesn't mean that it's okay. But there are times 
I, I, I don't know why. I just feel like calling out people today. I'm, I'm going to point at Shane over here, Brother Shane. Uh, and I'm not calling you out in a bad way. I'm, Shane went through some things in his life. And I remember some of the conversations we had. And I did everything I could when we had those conversations. I don't know if you remember this conversation, Shane, but it was one at Starbucks where God put us together. And I do remember specifically just saying, God saying to my spirit, just listen to the man, let his hurt, let him pour his hurt out on you so that you can listen to what he has to say because he's hurting and he's being honest and authentic. And he was that day. And I believe that that's one of the reasons he's been able, he was able to get through what he went through because of that. And now, Shane, tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't remember hitting you with a stick or beating you up that day. I just remember my heart was just heavy for you. And I just said, thank you, God. He's being, he's being authentic right now. It's raw. It's real. It's, it's coming out. And, and we need that. And if we can't trust our brothers and sisters in Christ in a church when we're vulnerable, where can we go? Right? So we need to be real, authentic, and honest. I want to spend more time on that, but we're going to move through it. In a place to become, we need to help each other carry life's burdens. We need to help each other carry life's burdens. Galatians 6, verses 1 through 6. Woo, man, what a passage. Look at what it says here. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, let's stop right there. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, can I ask you this question? You ever been caught in sin? You, you, uh, let, let, let's make it even more specific. You ever been doing something wrong and you got caught? Yeah, I have. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit, some versions it says you who are spiritual, you who are mature in, in your walk and are growing, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person with a heavy hand. Is that what it says? No. Restore that person gently. And here's why. Here's why. But watch for yourselves, or you also may be tempted. And here it is. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are, they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions, then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Now, now wait, you might say, well, well, Pastor, it says carry somebody else's burdens, but then it says you need to carry your own load. And that's, they're both right. We should grow and be mature, and we should be able to handle our own load, but there comes a time when the load gets too heavy sometimes, and you need some help. That's what the Word is saying. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the Word should share all good things with their instructor. So, a place to become is a place where we help each other carry life's burdens. Sometimes, I don't care how strong you are in the faith, how mature you are, sometimes life hits you hard, hits you often, it doesn't stop, and it wears you down. And there are times that you need somebody to come alongside of you and help you with that. 
That's what a church should be. To help each other. A brother or sister struggling in their marriage, what they need is not for us to point the finger at them, but, but to help them. Now, that's not to say we can't say this is right and this is wrong, correct? There's right and wrong. But we, we help them. And sometimes there are people that don't want any help. And other times they want help. We carry that burden with them if we can and we help them some people don't want you to help them and you can't but i guarantee you there are times that we can help each other okay let me move through these because i got three things i want to say at the end number three we need to celebrate our victories with each other obviously we're going to have burdens and we're going to have times that life gets hard life gets difficult things get extreme but then there we're going to come come to a time where we're going to hit the light at the end of the tunnel We're going to experience some good things. We're going to actually get victorious over some things. So we need to learn how to celebrate our our victories. I love the story in Luke 15 about the prodigal son, about the man who wanted his father's inheritance before his father died, got his portion, left, went and wasted it all, was eating pig slop, came to his senses, and came on home, and came down that road, and his father was waiting for him. And then they had a celebration. Look at what Luke 15, 24 says about that man. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So what did they begin to do? They began to celebrate. Verse 32 says this. As the father was responding to the older brother, And he says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. We celebrate. I'm going to call out somebody else here. We had our men's Bible study Wednesday night. Second week in a row, we we were together. We made mention that one of our men who struggles with something, for seven months now has been free of that struggle. For seven months, he's been clean. For seven months, he's been doing it God's way. For seven months, he's been free of that demonic stronghold in his life. And you know what we do? We celebrate something like that. We don't say to that person, well, let me see how you're living in 10 years or before I celebrate. No, man, we're going to celebrate the victory that you have in Christ today. I celebrate the fact that he's here in church today. We have to celebrate victories and learn how to do that. It's okay to celebrate, y'all. You know that? It's okay. I'm still celebrating LSU winning the national championship. I am. I know y'all are sick of hearing it, but I am. And one thing about this COVID-19 is on the SEC Network, they've showed a lot of LSU stuff this year because it was a great year for us. And one of my buddies today on Facebook said LSU was a one-year wonder. He's a boy born and raised in South Louisiana. He is, and I'm not going to say his name, but if he's watching, he'll know exactly who I'm talking about. He is the chaplain at Tulane University. He was one of my youth in my youth group. And he's a Florida Gator fan, born and raised as, as, uh, um, in Louisiana. And somehow, some way, he, 
he got his heart messed up and he became a Florida Gator fan. And he said this this week, he, uh, th- this morning about LSU, he said, they are a one-hit wonder. And I almost posted, but I didn't. I said, I'm going to save it for my sermon. Yeah, at least we hit. At least we hit in 2019. No. Yeah, yeah you know, we celebrate our teams, right? Last time I started talking about teams, I got in trouble, so I'm going to try to stay far away from that. But um, I said something I shouldn't have said, but, but we celebrate victories. And it's okay to celebrate your victories. It's all right. Our team wins a national championship. Man, what do we do, huh? We go the next day and we buy uh, T-shirts and hats and all of that. Listen, I got five T-shirts at home, five of them. They all look alike, and it's, it's the, the, the night that the New Orleans Saints won the Super Bowl in 2010. I, still got, I don't wear them anymore because I don't want them to wear out. They're going to have to last me a lifetime because it's probably the only one I'm going to get. They stay in my closet. I have to wash them about once a year. You know how stuff stays in your, in your closet and your drawers start smelling like a drawer after a while? And I just wash them and look at them. Celebrate. Man, listen. There are so many things in life to celebrate. Church, can we have a little agreement together? When we come to church on Sunday, I know there are times that we're hurting. There's a time to mourn, the Bible says, absolutely. But you know, the default position on Sunday morning should be celebrate. Let's celebrate. Let's not be like dead fish sitting in the pew or standing there. Man, let's celebrate our victories together because of what Jesus has done for us. And then the fourth thing is this. In a place to become, we believe in other people. We believe in other people. I'll give you these three things. We believe in other people to do several things. Number one, we believe in other people to overcome their past. We believe in in people to overcome their past who they used to be, who they were. The Bible tells us right here in this 1 Timothy passage uh, about Paul. It also says in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5, verse 17. Look what the Bible says there. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. We have to believe in others to overcome their past. In 1 Timothy 12 through 14, Uh, chapter 1 verses 12 through 14 Paul talks about his past who he was a persecutor a violent man but he was shown mercy the Bible says God gave him strength and allowed him to become the apostle called him into apostleship and Paul was able to overcome his past can you imagine in that day word spread that Saul of Tarsus was his name had become a Christian and I can imagine that those families whose family members or whose loved ones had been persecuted by by Saul of Tarsus probably didn't believe it. And the word is that Paul wants to come to our Bible study tonight. And I imagine there were some, I'm against it, I'm against it, I'm against it. It's a trap. He's not coming here to study the Bible. He's coming here to arrest us and to drag us off. He's going to kill us. He's going to murder. It's a setup, I'm telling you. Paul had to overcome his past. 
And we've got to believe in others who truly receive Christ to overcome their past. If we believe that Jesus is powerful enough to overcome death, hell, and the grave, then we ought to be able to believe that he is powerful enough to change somebody from the inside out, change their behavior, change the way they live, that, they, that they're no longer that same person. The Bible says, and such were some of you in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We used to be idolaters. We used to be drunkards. We used to be uh, sexually immoral. We used to be all of this. I don't know if you know this, but I just saw this yesterday. I watched the whole podcast. <laughs> How many of you know the Duck Dynasty family? Love them, don't you? Phil Robertson. Y'all love old Phil, right? Happy, happy, happy. The patriarch of the family. Miss Kay, his wife, used to tell him, Phil, I'm not saying this is something to be judgmental to you, but I'm just telling you. In your past, you were drunk all the time, and you, didn't, you, don't, you weren't in your right mind, didn't even know half the things you did. One day, somebody's going to come out of your past. Well, their sons, Jace and Al, received a letter from somebody, and they receive letters all the time saying, I'm your relative, and you need to send me $10,000. They see that happen all the time. And they got a letter from somebody, but it wasn't asking for $10,000. It was saying that a DNA pro profile came back to me and said that I'm very closely related to you. And what it was, was it was a lot of family members that they had in there, but it wasn't Phil's side of the family. Long story short, Phil Robertson just found out well, it just made public, but they found this out a few months ago. That 45 years ago, when he was drunk, he got a girl pregnant. And he has a 45-year-old daughter that he didn't know about. They met her. She's a Christian, been on mission trips, loves the Lord. Actually attended, visited their church before. They didn't, they didn't know. She didn't know, they didn't know. DNA test, test was done, came back. He has a daughter. And they all have a sister. And Miss Kay, with unbelievable grace in her heart, has accepted her as though it was her blood. And Phil doesn't hide from that. He says, see, I have a past. Phil lives in a, lot, in a world that there's a line in his life. There's Phil before Christ, then the line. Phil received Christ, and then Phil after Christ. And his life changed dramatically. And we have to believe that no matter what people have done in their past prior to Christ, they can overcome it with Christ because they're a new creation in Him. No matter what. And what sometimes man men means for evil, God brings out for good. Number two, we need to believe in others to capture their present. Capture their present. Who they are. Who they are. Look at 2 Corinthians 4.16. Therefore, we do not lose heart. 
Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. What's the old saying? Me and Coach love to talk about it to each other. I'm not what I ought to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. And the reason for that is because I'm being changed day by day. Brother Cameron said it. Be present. Live in the present. Live with who you are. You know, don't live your life in such a way that, that, that you're projecting happiness on yourself based on what might happen. If I can just get to this, I'll be happy. You'll never get there because when you do get there, it will never be enough. Too many people either live in the past and they focus on what they did, and those who don't sometimes live in the future and they think too much of what they want to be and they never enjoy what they are right now and what God is doing in their life right now today in the present. And before you know it, your life has gone before you like a vapor. So you and I have to learn how to help people capture their present, who they are. That's what Paul was talking about here. I used to be this. But because of the grace and the mercy of God, I am now this. And God has found me to be trustworthy right now, and He's placed me in the ministry. He's allowing me to be used of Him right now for who I am, to capture their present. Now I'll give you the last thing here, and it's this. We need to believe in others place to become we need to believe in others to grow into their future to grow into their future who they can become who they can become see we live and we have to be able to see the micro and the macro say what is that the micro is a small focus it's right now right here and you can look at somebody's life and say oh my gosh what a mess you know uh, I mean I'll tell you when God called me to preach I had people close to me that told me you'll never be a preacher you don't have what it takes you're not that you don't come from the right place they, they were looking at the micro. They could only see what, what, they, what they knew of me from my recent past, and they could barely see what I was in the present, which I had been saved and changed. But they had no vision for what I could be in the future. we got to look at the macro in people's lives, too, at what they can become. If we live just in the present when it comes to other people, we can be very discouraged. Very discouraged. So that rebellious teenager right now, don't pin her or him to what they are now only. Have a faith vision for them, for what they can become, for the great man of God that they might become one day. They can become that in Christ. They can. Now, there's a lot of things that have to happen. First of all, they have to want it. Secondly, they have to be humble. They have to submit. You know, they, they have to do their part. God will do his part. Circumstances have to work out. They got to live long enough to get to that point. <laughs> That's what scares me sometimes. 
but we got to believe what people can be. I can't look at you and, and just pin you down and just say, you are who you are. You'll never be anything more. That's all you are. That's all you've ever been. That's all you will ever be. You can't be anything more for Christ, and that's it. And that's where you're going to be. See, Christ doesn't look at us that way. He wants to grow us and change us every day. And He sees who we can become for Him and His glory. The two people who discipled Paul I imagine they, could, they, could, they had a vision for what Paul could be. I mean, he had an education, theological education that was beyond anything they had ever seen. And now his heart was opened up. And now he could take, now he understood the promises of the Old Testament. And the fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He understood all these things now. Now that he's become a Christian. And now we have to help him grow and help him develop to become whom God wants him to be. So we've got to be able to see who people can become. Now I don't know what somebody can fully become. I'm not God. But I try to cast a vision on what I think they can become. And you never know. You know, again, man, I'm, I'm on this tear today of pointing people out. I'm going to look at Jacob right here. Jacob, yep, there you are. Jacob's like, oh, I came to church, and now he's pointing me out. <laughs> Jacob first started coming to church. He was eight. Well, anybody that's taller than me is tall, okay? So he was a tall, lanky, <laughs> goofy, but had that big smile on his face. And I was thinking... That kid, you know, and, and, and began to learn about his life. And I was like, that kid, man, that kid, I don't think that kid will ever take anything serious. Always wanted to have fun. There wasn't a ball game or something outside that he didn't like. A lot of energy. But there was something in him. And I was like, Lord, if he can just stick, man, if he could just stay with the stuff. I don't know what he can become. But I know that he can become something that you can use. I mean, he is the leader of our Wednesday night. He and Kaylee, the leader of our Wednesday night children's ministry. We don't put somebody in charge of our children's ministry if we don't have complete confidence and trust in them. Just like Paul. Paul was trusted. So therefore, he was put into the ministry. And, and we didn't put him in charge of our children when he was 17 years old. We didn't look at him and say, 17-year-old, he'll never be nothing. He don't take anything serious. He just wants to go have fun. I'll tell you what, he's not a quitter. He's been, how old are you now? You're 31. Man, I wish I looked that young when I was 31. Now, you're 31. Your current job, how many years have you been in that job? 13 years he's been working the same job. You know how many young people his age have gone through about 20 jobs already? Stayed with it. I'm just saying. What if we'd have looked at that young man and said, nah, he's, you know, he's just not the kind for us. We don't believe that in him. He's whatever, whatever. Couldn't you say that about every teenager, about 17 or 18 years old, just about? Yeah. 
I mean, I look at Justin over there. Justin Wooten. Stand up, Justin. Stand up. None of y'all are immune. Look, look at that beast over there. Look at that man. No, stand up. Stand up. Look at that beard on that guy. Do y'all remember little Justin, those of you who've been around here long, just little Justin, and who would take, steal a man's cap? I told him when he was little. One time I got a hold of him, I almost beat the snot out of him. I told him, I said, let me tell you something, boy. There's several things you don't touch. You can sit down. There's several things you don't touch. You don't touch a man's truck. You don't mess with his wife, and you don't mess with his cap. Don't you mess with my cap. All that did was spur him on to want to mess with my cap more. Little Justin. But Justin's grown up, married, serving the Lord, leader in our youth group, working on Wednesday night, has a small group with the young men. Got to have a vision for what people can become. Always had a vision for what Justin could become. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on. We got to believe in other people that they can grow into their future. And if people come into this kind of environment where they know they're going to be loved on and helped to overcome their past, who they were, they're going to be challenged to capture their present, to be able to live their life for God right now, to be challenged to be obedient, to be loved, and to walk, you know, to be walked with when they're not obedient and help them along and then to grow into what they can become into their future a place to become i'm telling you church if we take the scripture and 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 look at paul's life and let someone like that be an example to us there's no reason that people shouldn't walk in these doors who have a heart to want to live for God and say, I want to be a part of a family like this. Now, I'll tell you, being a part of this church is not always easy. And I'll tell you why. Because it's not an easy believism kind of church. We don't, we don't preach a gospel that says, oh, you believe in Christ on Sunday and live for the devil and live however you want on Monday. No, we, we preach a biblical Christianity that teaches and says, when Christ gets a hold of you, he changes you from the inside out and your behavior will change. And the Bible teaches you how you ought to live. And we expect that of you, just like a child. A child, you can't keep pooping your pants until you're 20 years old. You just can't. You've got to get potty trained. We're going to help you. But after a certain age, after two years and one day, it, it's, it's time. Stop. You've got to learn some things. You've got to grow. And there's, that's why some folks can't, won't come to our church. They come for a little while, and they can't, they can't take it because they don't want to hear the truth of God's Word, and, and they don't want to live it, and, and, and they, they want their ears tickled, the Bible says. But there are a whole host of people that are yet to become part of us that are looking for a church where they can become, where they can grow, where they can have their, their, their uh, past forgiven and, and their present challenged and their future believed in. And I believe we have that kind of church right here, a place to become who Jesus wants you to be. We're one big family. And I wouldn't trade it for the world.
I'm calling all these people out. I'm going to call myself out. When I first became the pastor here back in 1995, I wasn't half the pastor then that I am now. And, I, and I'm not saying that pridefully. I'm saying that in these 25 years, man, I have grown to be what I'm hoping I am now. And I'm hoping that in 25 more years that I can look back and say, man, I'm not what I was at the 25-year mark, at the 50 mark. Oh, my gosh, I'm, I'm, I'm greater because I'm, I was in a place where they believed in me and they helped me overcome my past and they helped me work through it in the present. And they believed that I could be the kind of pastor we got. Now, they're talking. I'm going to call them out right now. Um, Miss Faye and Miss Carolyn. <laughs> You're talking about the sermon, right? You, the point that I'm making. Yeah. About me? Are you talking about me? Oh, what a good subject. Yeah, that's right. I remember Miss Carolyn getting out of her place. She was sitting by there, right around there. It wasn't long after we got in this building. We had some problems in 1998. And I remember, man, I, was just, I just couldn't get past them. And so we had the invitation. She came down here in the front, and she grabbed me. She was crying, and she was grabbing me by the arms. And, and, and she said, I want to pray for you. But she said, before I pray for you, I want to look you in the eye and tell you something. And she put her hands on my shoulders, and she said, we need you to lead us. You have to get over this. We need you to lead us. We need a leader. And I remember her telling me that, and I was like, well, I'm going to become a leader because I don't want to get whooped. And I remember she telling me. Because she told my mama, she asked my mom, she said, can I kind of be his mama away? You know, with, with you not being here, can I like be his mama while you're, and she's like, yeah, go ahead. And I don't remember if she said it, but she's told it to me before in the past in one way or another. And she goes, you know, I can still whip you. <laughs> I'm thinking, has she whipped me before? But I don't know. And what it did was it, it, it had all three of those right there. It says, hey, you overcome your past. Right now in the present, just we need you to be the leader that you need to be. And what she was telling me was that I believe in you. I believe in who you can be. It saved my ministry. It saved me. Somebody to believe in. be that church let's pray together y'all <clears throat> heavenly father <clears throat> oh, so much on my mind and heart I had a hard time today just focusing in but i'm thankful that you've allowed me to be able to to share this message fresh and new i have this unbelievable passion God you know and this unbelievable uh, belief that this church not only is a place for the hurting for who who are already here but it will become even more so for so many others help us to be the arms and feet of Jesus I pray that we would flood this altar this morning praying for those in our lives that need 
prayer. God, I look at my own children and I, I deep in my heart, I believe they can be much more than what they are today. But at the same time, I take the victories that I can get for who they are today. And in the same way, I pray for others that are on our hearts, those within our church family who are struggling, those within our community that are struggling with their faith. We pray for them. We pray that us, along with other churches, would be a home base that people can not only find the Lord, but learn how to walk in Him and live for Him. Pray for the person in this building today, maybe that, uh, as I was pointing out, how others have changed. They need to change right now. Like a Phil Robertson, they need to have that line in their life where it's time to give their life to Christ. So that can be put in the past their old life, and their new life can start today. God has spoken to you. I'll be here standing. Others will be here at this altar praying. Whatever God leads you to do, you do it. You trust Him, and we're going to pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me as our worship team leads us? It's God's invitation. Let's respond to Him now.